Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, we thank you for the people that we encounter through life. Lord, give us compassion. Um, give us compassion for those around us. Um, Lord, thank you for the opportunities that Emily has had with these Mormon fellows. Lord, we pray for those men that the things that Emily has pointed out, that they would be rightfully shaken in their worldview, but only to see the truth of the gospel uh, and only to see the beauty of who you are, Lord Jesus, that you are the king, that you are God, that you are God the Son incarnate, that you had to be to pay for uh, your people's sin. I pray that there would be further opportunity. I pray there might be even response but uh, from this. I pray that they would read the true scriptures, um, Lord, of, of they claim the, the first 66 books, or the, the 66 books as part of their scripture, but not the only scriptures. And we just pray that they would read um, uh, what you have said, especially in the New Testament, um, and that you would, you would work in their hearts. Um, Lord, pray for follow-up conversations with them. Um, Lord, we pray for this morning as we continue to consider prayer. Uh, Father, we pray for um, grace to grow in prayer. We pray for grace to have the right mindset of prayer. We pray for grace to um, do prayer more um, and to approach you and to approach you with the right heart and reverence. So we ask these things and we pray for this morning in your name. Amen. Okay, um, so where we're at with um, our discussion, we've defined prayer. Uh, we spent some time doing that. Prayer is reverential communication with God, which acknowledges God as Savior. It desires his relational presence, which is distant in a fallen world. Prayer typically requests God to act in some way, because based on who God is, what he does, what he's promised to do, and his relationship with the one praying. The content of prayer is some mixture of praise, thanksgiving, confession, lament, query, and petition. Uh, we talked last week about why should we pray, and we gave some reasons. Because it's commanded and invited, it's both a command and an invite, uh, because God does answer. God does answer prayer. We should pray with the understanding and expectation that um, God answers prayer, and so that should drive us to prayer. Uh, and, you know, kind of as a sub-point to that, because God uses prayer as a means of accomplishing his plans. Uh, there are things that would not happen in the world if we did not pray. Because God uses that as a means to uh, accomplish his plan in the world. So it's that um, God's sovereignty and human responsibility again. Uh, we should pray because it gives us joy to see God answer prayer. We talked about that. That if we want to increase our joy, um, then we ought to be a praying people. Because um, Jesus in John 16, um, we pray things in his name that are according to his will, according to where God is going. We're going to see answers, maybe not in the way that we would expect, but we will see answers, and that should increase our joy. Uh, and then, kind of as an overarching thing, because it maintains our relationship with God through honest communication. This is, prayer is one of the ways we commune with God, um, this side of heaven. Um, of course, his spirit is dwelling in us, but when we talk with um, God, uh, we are, we, with honest communication, we see that in the scriptures, not just platitudes, not just trivialities, but with honest communication, that is uh, maintaining that relationship with God. Okay, so now what we want to do is we want uh, I want to take us to who we pray to. Now you might think, well, that's obvious. You know, who, who do we pray to? 
God. We pray to God. So on one level, that's a very, very obvious answer. However, um, I think we need to linger on that for a little bit. Um, And this is where we can connect with what we did in the last kind of series for Equipping Hour and Knowing God. So when we say we pray, we're praying to God, who are we praying to? Okay, yeah, so we can connect with the Trinitarian. Um, we talked about that when we were talking about the Trinity, and we, I want to revisit that, that very thing. So we're, we're praying to the triune God. Well, how do we do that rightly? And um, part of that, and we'll talk more about it, we pray to the most, most of the time. Uh, and this is how scripture presents it. Most of the time, we are addressing the person of the Father specifically. Okay, so we're not praying to God in general. We're praying to um, the Father usually, um, specifically. Now, how did the other persons fit into that? We'll revisit. We talked about that before. We'll revisit it. But, uh, okay, so we pray to the triune God. We'll visit that more. But when we pray to God, who are we talking to? Who are we communicating with? Yeah, so think of all those things that we went through in the Knowing God series. So our creator, God is the creator. Uh, not only the creator and sustainer of all things, but um, of, of us in particular. He knitted us together in our mother's wombs. Um, uh, we see that in Psalm 139. He wrote all of our days when as yet there were none of them. So we're praying to that God. Uh, who, who else are we praying to? Not who else, but who are we praying to when we pray to God. So he's our creator. What else? Yeah, we have a, a relationship um, that is close through Christ. So that goes back to the Father aspect and praying to the triune God. Who else? Or what else? Sorry. Sovereign. Yeah, so sovereign God. So that means he is uh, in control over all things. He reigns over all things. He has planned all things. He brings everything that comes to pass. Um, okay, what else? Yeah, he's holy. He is uh, utterly incomparable. There is no, uh, nothing and no one else that compares with him. Um, he, he, is, he is in a class all his own. Um, okay, uh, good. What else? We do not pray to an idol. In other words, an idolatrous prayer where we're actually praying to ourselves. Good. Yeah. Yeah, so we can think of this in terms of what we're not praying to as well. And one of those things, and we'll go to a passage that would really uh, really focus on that idea uh, in a minute. So uh, what else? Okay, uh, who else is God? The God that we are praying to. We, yeah, so he's holy. We talked about that. What else? Yeah, he's omniscient. He has supreme knowledge uh, over all things that... Uh, he knows himself, and he knows everything else. Um, there is nothing he does not know. He knows potentialities. He does things that actually don't come to pass. He knows um, those things. He has supreme knowledge. What else? Yeah, everywhere present. So there is no, God is 100% present uh, with 100% of his being. He's not present everywhere in the exact same way, uh, but he is present everywhere. Um, okay, what else? Okay, so that gets back to the Trinitarian stuff, which we'll go really specific on here in a minute. We're just kind of thinking about God's attributes. Um, what was the last one someone said? Eternal, right? So God is eternal. Uh, God has uh, existed uh, for 
uh, ages and millennia, and he's never had a beginning. He will never have an end. He is the Ancient of Days. Okay, um, what else? Yeah, so he has uh, the capacity not to do things that are um, like, actually, God can't actualize a contradiction or things like that, but he has supreme power. Um, he has supreme power. Uh, who, what else? I've still got many things on my list here that, of attributes that you guys haven't hit yet. So, What's that? Yeah, he's a God of wrath, um, which is, a, 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 we talked about this in that seri- you know, series of knowing God. It's a byproduct of God's goodness. Um, true goodness and true love um, means that God hates evil, which means God is a wrathful God, and God is jealous uh, over his people um, because he is a supremely good God, a supremely loving God. Um, wrath and jealousy are a part of that. Uh, what else? I've got a couple more. Yeah, master merciful. So he has compassion and grace um, over um, his creation. Uh, even those who are in current rebellion against him, he has compassion and he has grace. Um, what else? What's that? Very patient, right? God um, is, he, he, um, he, you know, I'm thinking even of Second Peter 3, where... Um, the way we think about slowness is not the way that God thinks about slowness. He is patient, desiring everyone to repent. Uh, he is slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love. He is he's patient. He's long-suffering. Okay, um, what else? Yeah, God doesn't change in the sense that he doesn't change in his fundamental character or being or purposes or promises. Uh, in those senses, God doesn't, doesn't change. Uh, what else? Uh-huh. And what he promises what he will do uh, as well. Okay, what else? Yeah, he's forgiving. God forgives. He, um, uh, you know, if you use the analogy of debt, which scripture uses often, he wipes the ledger clean. Uh, not, not in the sense of where he, he compromises his justice. We know that, um, especially the cross rectifies that, um, that issue of justice. Um, but he's a forgiving God. What else? Yeah, he, he, and that would kind of go back to sovereignty in a sense, right? That, that God is the king. He owns everything. Um, he is the creator and sustainer of all. Therefore, he has the right uh, to demand obedience um, and, and, and does so. Okay, what else? Uh, somewhere in there, but yes, God is just, right? He he, um, he knows what is good, what is right, um, and he always acts according to what is right, not just in the sense of uh, he's going to hold the standard, but also in the sense that he's, he's going to rescue, uh, as Romans would say, he's the just and the justifier, right? So there's both sides of God's justice, um, both in terms of grace but also, and rescue, but also in terms of the standard, okay? Um, what else? Yeah, God of truth. He is truth. Uh, and he is faithful um, because he is true in that sense. God also, we talked about this, um, this idea of, um, in the Old Testament, that, that term chesed, his, his loyal kindness. Um, God is, has loyal kindness uh, to his people and to, um, 
especially the people he's in covenant with. Uh, God is a punishing God. We already kind of talked about that in relation to God's wrath. So yeah, we've hit all of these things. So now why do I have us do that? Well, because when we go to prayer, we're not praying to ourselves. We're not just spitting stuff out into the air. We are praying to God. We're praying to a person, especially the Father. And we are praying to a being who has all of these attributes that we can barely even comprehend, that Scripture testifies to. Um, Now, we've talked about that when we pray, we are not in God's presence in the sense of its full manifestation, right? We understand that you know, the Spirit indwells us. We are in God's presence in kind of that general sense where God is present everywhere. But we also understand that in God's full presence to bless, that awaits the future where there's face-to-face communication. So we, we've acknowledged that. And yet when we pray, this is included in our definition, we are oriented to and longing for God's presence. Right? So you think of the Old Testament saints, and even uh, you can see this in Acts too. They go to the temple and they pray. They pray toward the temple. Why? Because this is where God's presence is manifested in a very special way. You're, they're longing for God's presence. Um, so when we think about prayer, it's not face-to-face communication, but we ought to speak as if it was. Right? Like, if, if prayer is all about, if one of the key components of prayer is we're longing for God's presence, we're oriented to God's presence, even though we're not there yet in the full manifestation of his presence to bless, uh, we would want to speak as we pray, as we would if we were immediately in God's presence. I mean, I can't think of a reason we wouldn't, <laughs> right? Now, when we frame prayer like that, it changes things, especially given uh, what we see in Scripture about when people do have a, even a, a special manifestation of God's presence and being in a God's immediate presence, how they talk, how they act. Um, and that raises the bar on how we talk to God. Let me give you a few examples. Um, go to Genesis 18. Go to Genesis 18. Uh, we're going to start... I'll read this one, and then there's a couple more that I'll have you guys read. But uh, let's start in verse uh, 22. So this is right after um, God is God visits. Some uh, there's a theophany here. God manifests His presence in a very particular way, in a visible way, with two angels. Remember the three visitors to to Abraham. And in that context, what has happened is that God has promised to Abraham the birth of Isaac. After that, um, God says, um, you know, should I hide from Abram what I'm going to do? I'm about to destroy Sodom. And so let's pick it up in verse 22. So the men turned from there and went down towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before Yahweh. So remember, God has manifested, Yahweh 
has manifested in, in this context a visible display of his presence. Okay, so this is very special. So in a sense, Abraham is in the presence with God more so than he is in that general sense. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And Yahweh said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to them and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And Yahweh went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, we could talk about the specifics of the situation, but what I want you to notice is Abraham is in a in God's immediate presence, in this case, um, in a fashion, how does he talk to God? Great humility. Uh, Where does that show up? How does the humility show up? Yeah, dust and ashes. And he kind of keeps coming back, right? Which, you know, he kind of realizes this could be annoying. Um, And so he keeps... Lord, um, don't be angry with me, but I'm venturing to speak with you again. Um, so we see great humility. Um, now, Abraham is, he is walk, walking in faith with God. God has declared him righteous. So he's in right relationship with God, but there's still great humility and sobriety. Okay. Uh, any other questions on 18? Again, we're just kind of picking up. Uh, if we, if we in prayer, I'm not saying this. This is kind of a weird situation. I wouldn't necessarily characterize this exactly as prayer, but like we said, uh, we ought to pray as if we were in God's immediate presence. So here we see an example of that, and uh, it gives us clues as to how we ought to pray. Um, any other questions on this? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. And that would square with what Jesus says in Luke 18. We looked at it last week. You ought always to pray and not give up, right? And so in this case, he just keeps, just keeps bringing it back, right? Um, and we know from our prayer lives there are things that we keep bringing up and bringing up, even in an intercessory way. I hear many of you praying for your unsafe children, right, or just other unsafe people that you know. We just keep bringing it up um, because we know that's a desire in accord with God's will, so we keep bringing it up. Um, Okay, let's see a couple other examples. Uh, Let's go to Exodus 34. Let's let's look at Moses. So in Exodus 32, the golden calf happens. Moses breaks the tablets. 
We actually spent a great deal of time in this passage in the last uh, topic we did. Um, so Moses intercedes for Israel, and then Moses is like, if I'm going to keep going, I need to see your glory. And so God decides to go ahead and reveal all his goodness to Moses, and again, a very special way where God's presence is, is, is more concentratedly and specifically manifested than otherwise. Um, so he descends, uh, and let's pick it up. Uh, someone read 34, Exodus 34, 5 through 9. Okay, so Moses talks to God a lot, like in very personal ways throughout, you know, what we see in Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Um, but this is special, right? This instance is, is very special. Um, how does Moses speak to God? Well, God is describing who he is, right? Right, God's declaring uh, who who He is, but what is in in a very special manifestation of God's presence? But then, who? How does Moses respond? Yeah, bows low. He worships. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Like he's in God's presence. He's on the ground, right? Um, Anything else about how he responds, how he talks with God? For me, the um, condition of the relationship to God is now I have found favor. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so God has declared before that Moses has found favor in his sight. In fact, he, he just says that in Exodus 33. But he, he's, he's like, you know, it's, it's only because of that. It's only on that basis that I'm approaching you. Uh, and he makes a request. He makes a request for the, the people, right? It's intercessory prayer in this case. But uh, again, we're, um, we pick up on, here are the people in the scriptures who talk to God immediately in his presence, and what is that communication like? And we would say, it's like, well, even though when we pray we're not immediately in God's presence in the same way, and we're longing for that, 
we would want to pray in the same sort of way as if we were immediately in God's presence. Let's go to another one, Isaiah 6, familiar one. Uh, Isaiah 6, so this is just kind of commonly understood as Isaiah's, well it is, Isaiah's commission as to do uh, his specific ministry as prophet. Um, someone go ahead and read Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. <coughs> Okay, so how is God manifested here? He's on his throne, right? That's the, the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord seated on his throne, and Isaiah says, here's the king, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, Yahweh of armies, okay? Um, what else? What else do you pick up about the manifestation of God's presence here? Yeah, Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, here are the... Yep. Here are the... the, the, the here, these are the beings that can get as close to God, at least in their, you know, his heavenly throne room. You see him also in Revelation. And... They're getting as close as they can, but they're, they're covering their, their eyes and their feet, right? Okay, so this is, this, is, this is in the audience hall. This is in the temple, the throne room of the king. The king. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, again, we talked about how prayer is often tied to the temple. It's, it's pointing and orienting and longing for this presence of God to be in the audience chamber of the king. How does Isaiah, 
who is a prophet, who is in right relationship with God, um, who prays to God often, how does Isaiah respond? How does he talk to God? He's ashamed, yeah. Back to the humility side of things. Uh, ashamed of what? Un- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yes. Specifically your lips, right, which is interesting. So this is interesting for Isaiah's uh, commissioning as a prophet, right? He's going to speak for God, um, but he's in God's presence and, like, um, I- I'm unclean. I have unclean lips, um, and that's what the, the, uh, the seraph, you know, he goes and gets a coal from the altar. Um, the altar is where atonement happens, right? And this coal uh, sears and purifies the lips, right? Now think of that in terms of um, prayer, right? Again, this isn't exactly a scene of prayer, but it is linked in the sense that when we pray, we're longing for God's presence, and like we keep saying, if we were to speak in prayer, we would want to speak as if we were in God's presence, right? Um, and so when we look at Isaiah, he is like recognizing his own sinfulness, uh, that he needs atonement. Now, we as Christians, we have received atonement and cleansing and purity through Christ. Um, but nonetheless, right, um, imagine what you would say if you were immediately in God's presence, right? Imagine what you would do um, because of who God is. That's why we started all, you know, who are we praying to? We're praying to this God. We're praying to the God of all those attributes. And so when we pray, uh, we would, I um, I think it's helped to pause. You might even do this uh, before you go to God in your next prayer, is to take five seconds, and to just settle your mind on who am I praying to? And I want to speak in the way that as, as if I was in God's very presence. Um, and that's going to set your, your mind, your heart. Um, Lord willing, it's going to draw you to a place that, that, is, that is the reverent communication. That's what we talk about, right? Prayer is not just communication. It's a reverent communication coming before God in worship, asking, asking him for something. I mean, how dare we? Um, how, how could we even ask the king of kings for something? And yet we see those in relationship with God, Moses, um, Abraham, um, etc., um, asking God for things. Right? How does this help? Or how does this change our mindset about prayer? I don't know. Any thoughts? Yeah, Julie. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you guys struggle in your prayer lives with uh, getting distracted or, you know, your mind's floating off on what you're going to do next or, um, you know, you just kind of fumble along through, um, you know, what you pray, even the content of what you pray for, right? Sometimes it's just like, really? I'm, I'm praying about that. It's not that it's bad, like, we have an intimate relationship with God, but 
sometimes I think it, there's a flippancy there that that doesn't recognize who we are praying to. So, now Tony brought up a really good point earlier. It's not just who we're praying to, but then what does that mean about who we're not praying to? Um, so go to Luke 18. We were there last week. Uh, we're not going to the same place, but uh, a next door neighbor paragraph. Uh, Luke 18, uh, someone read 9 through 14. What's interesting is that in verse 11, when it says the Pharisee staying by himself prayed, it actually is kind of ambiguous in the Greek. Um, it could mean he's praying with reference to himself, or it could literally mean he's praying to himself. Um, and so, which, whichever way you take it, that's effectively what's happening here, isn't it? Right? This is prayer to yourself. This is what prayer to yourself looks like. Um, when you're listing, here's all the good things I've done... And, um, you know, I'm thanking you that I'm not like other people, right? This is prayer to yourself. We don't pray like that. Instead, uh, the tax collector is lauded here, right? Because he's humble. He recognizes he's a sinner. He recognizes who he's praying to. Um, he's standing far off, right? Um, that he, he doesn't even have the right to come to God's presence, and yet he's still praying. Um, he's still praying. Uh, so we don't pray to ourselves. We understand who we're praying to. We don't pray to ourselves. Okay? We also don't pray to others. We're not praying focused on how others will respond. Uh, Matthew 6, 5 through 6. Now, uh, based on the scope of what we've already seen in Scripture, um, public and corporate prayer, yes or no? Yes, absolutely, right? Uh, it is, uh, we see it happening in the Old Testament. We see it happening with people, you know, especially when the congregation's confessing sin or, you know, Solomon at the dedication of the temple or things like this. Um, so, uh, corporate prayer, absolutely. Uh, in fact, even the Lord's Prayer, which is in this chapter, um, it's, a, it's all in the plurals. Our Father, uh, uh, give us today our daily bread. So, corporate prayer is a yes, but um, Jesus critiques um, prayer that's for the benefit of others in the sense uh, that he describes here. Uh, Matthew 6, 5 through 6, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites or the play actors, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. 
Uh, truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go to your, into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The reason these folks are praying is in order to be seen by others. But biblical prayer we've seen is in order to be seen and recognized by God. So we don't pray to ourselves. We don't pray worrying about how others will respond. So even when we do corporate prayer, whether it's here in the sanctuary or on the evenings, we've got to be careful to make sure that we can respond and bounce off of other people's prayers. We need to be careful to make sure that we are oriented to, to God, right? We're, we're worried about not what other people around the table are hearing us say, but we're praying together, corporately, yes, but um, in order that God might hear us. Every time you pray, whether it's individually or corporately, the orientation is towards God, towards his presence, and worried about what he's thinking, uh, how you're relating to him. Okay, questions, thoughts on, on all of what we've seen today? Yes, Susan. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Tony. I like Jesus' phrasing here at the very beginning of saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness. Mm-hmm. And practicing, here he's, it's not wrong to practice righteousness, but it's, it, it's wrong to do it in a false way, right? And you're presenting falsely before other people. You're play acting. You're just going through the motions rather than um, doing it for your father's reward. That's our orientation. And that's our orientation in prayer. So let's end in prayer like we have been. Uh, we, next week we're going to talk about, okay, let's, remember the Trinity and how do we pray in light of the Trinity, but today is all about well, how do we pray to a sovereign God, a holy God? Um, what does that look like? What is it not? Okay, so I need two volunteers, and I want one person to pray that we would have proper reverence, humility, and focus when we pray to our great God. Uh, can someone volunteer to pray for that? To pray that we would have proper reverence, humility, and focus when we pray to our great God. I'm going to volunteer to pray for that. Patricia, great. And then can I have someone else? Um, you know, we haven't dived into it a ton, but we did mention it today, and we'll talk about it more next week. Pray that our prayers would have the proper Trinitarian shape. Pray that our prayers would have the proper Trinitarian shape. Can someone pray for that? Well, we'll talk about praying to the right pe people in the Trinity in the right way. Praying to the Trinity reverently in the proper order that God has given us. So um, can someone, can I have a guy uh, volunteer to pray for that? Okay, I will. Oh, Eden, good. All right, uh, Patricia, you start us and then Eden closes.